0: where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 134, Tungsten Super Shot and Wild Turkeys, with Nick Charney. And I am your host, I'm back. The guy who got back from his annual turkey hunting trip out of state this past Saturday. And I had a great time on that trip. I am glad to be home though. And I will tell a little bit more about the trip here in just a minute. But first I have to tell you that we are 301 days, 8 hours, 1 minute and 38 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. And I have a long list of to-dos, not only to get ready for turkey season for 2018, but I have a long list of to-dos around my house after being gone for 60 days roughly chasing turkeys. One of which is relandscaping the front yard, which I happened to have sprayed with glyphosate before I left town. And of course, I didn't tell my wife that I sprayed it. And when I got back, everything was brown. She couldn't quite figure out why everything in the front yard died. But I had to let her know when I got back what happened. So I've got a little landscaping project coming up at the house. And I've got some farming projects coming up on a couple of my hunting properties. And I will be planting milo or grain sorghum on my property in Chilton County this weekend and i'm also going to be planting chufa on my hunting property in Perry County and in Bibb County as well and all three of those spots are my during the week hunting spots so i can hunt those spots monday through friday and be back in the office at a decent hour instead of driving 2 hours to the hunting camp to hunt which i wouldn't do and it would severely limit my number of days in the woods, so we can't have that. So, before I get into the story of my trip to Arizona and Utah, I want to thank you guys who have shared pictures with me via social media or email this turkey season. And I want to thank you for telling me how much you feel like this podcast has helped you during turkey season. Hearing that from you guys. Really gets me fired up and it gives me the juice that I need to keep going and push through these long, hot upcoming summer months where all I can do is dream about chasing turkeys in 2018 and dream about the hunts that I had in 2017, even though they were few and far between. And there were a bunch of you guys who shared pictures with me and I'm very, very appreciative of that. So, all right. I'm back from the trip, as I mentioned, and I need a vacation to recover from my vacation. Because getting up between 3.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning and being in the woods at 4.30 and hunting until dark at 8 p.m. is tough work. Now granted, it's good work, but it's tough work. And so this old body of mine is not very happy with me right now. Plus, it's trying to figure out what I am doing getting six to seven hours of sleep per day. My body feels like it's sleep overload. So on the trip to Arizona and Utah, we flew into Vegas, got two rental cars, and drove three and a half hours north and east to the Kaibab National Forest. And for those of you who don't know where that is, the Kaibab National Forest is about 30 miles north of the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And it is beautiful territory. There are big trees up on these ridges on the plateau. And the canyons in the plateau are anywhere from, I'd say, three to 400 feet below the ridgetops. So the hunting is not too terribly strenuous but given the fact that you're starting at about anywhere from 6500 feet in elevation going all the way up to 9500 feet in elevation recovering from climbing the 3 or 400 feet out of those canyons back up to the ridge tops is pretty difficult so even though the hunting was not physically strenuous it actually was mentally strenuous because in Arizona what we ran into was birds that were not gobbling, and wind, and that is a terrible combination, at least in my book. So we arrived Saturday afternoon to the Kaibab Plateau, and were greeted with winds that were blowing 25 to 30 miles per hour. Sunday, the winds were predicted to lay down a little bit, and they did. The winds only blew about 20 to 25 miles per hour Sunday. Despite the winds Sunday, I lucked into a strutting Merriam's turkey and was able to fill my tag in Arizona. The hunt was not glamorous. It was a complete ambush of a hunt. But given the circumstances of high wind and non-gobbling turkeys, you have to take what you can get sometimes. Our plan was to hunt until Wednesday around lunch and then leave the Kaibab National Forest to go to Utah and hunt in Utah and finish out our trip there. Well, I told you about the wind on Sunday. Monday, the wind actually laid down and it was a beautiful, beautiful day filled with silence. Tuesday morning, we awoke to clouds and wind and what began as some scattered showers. Monday night, we decided after having two very frustrating quiet days in the woods in Arizona, that Tuesday at lunch, we were going to load up and go to Utah and try to get Utah out of the way. And if we were successful in Utah, we would come back to Arizona. So that's what we did. Part of the reason that we made that decision is because every hunter that we talked to while we were out there was telling us that they didn't know what was going on with the birds, that they were not gobbling, and that there seemed to be fewer birds than there have been in previous years. So, due to the reports that we were getting and what we were experiencing, we thought Utah would be a good thing to do. It would help to bring a little bit of life back to us. And give us an opportunity to at least know that we've marked one state off of the list. And give us an opportunity to go back and get some more turkeys in Arizona. If not, the rest of the turkeys that we needed. So we did leave at lunch on Tuesday. Made the short little hour and a half drive north to Alton, Utah. And I don't mind telling you guys when we run across a good outfitter. I also don't mind telling you when we run across a bad outfitter, but you will not hear me bad mouth an outfitter on this show and mention the name of that outfitter at the same time. You will hear me praise an outfitter on this show and give the name of that outfitter at the same time. Now, if you are going to one of the states that we had an experience with a bad outfitter in... And you want the name of that outfitter, I will give it to you individually. But I will not badmouth someone on the show. So, with that said, we arrived in Alton, Utah at Color Country Outfitters. And the headman there, Wade, met us at the lodge. First impression was this. We pull up to a lodge that is about 3,500 square feet. It's a log cabin. Beautiful grounds. We walk inside. The kitchen in this place is, I'm not even going to say nicer than my house. It's much nicer than the kitchen in my house. The living room is huge. There's a game room upstairs. There's something like, I can't remember, 11 bedrooms in this house. I mean, this thing is big. And I'm saying house. And it's a lodge. It's only used for their hunting purposes. And then in the summers, they'll rent it out for vacation purposes for people who want to come and visit some of the Sites in the area. So first impressions of the place were good. And when we meet with Wade, the man in charge, he begins to tell us that he wishes that we were there last week. There was a good bit of gobbling going on and that this week it's tapered off a little bit. They're still seeing some birds. Their bird numbers are down and he's not real sure how this is going to turn out. Well, this is the exact same conversation that I had with Wade the week before we went on the trip. But I had to pick Wade's brain because when someone says their population is down, we don't have as many turkeys as we normally do, I don't know what that means. Does that mean that they were seeing a 1,000 turkeys before winter and now this spring they're only seeing 10? Does that mean that they were seeing 500 turkeys before winter and now they're seeing only 400 turkeys? So that's all relative, and so when I called Wade to chat with him before we went up there on the trip, I'd already gotten that story from him, and I began to pick his brain a little bit more. I found out they had game cameras set up throughout their ranches that they have permission to hunt, and I also found out that they had several groups of turkeys on these cameras with one to three toms in each group of turkeys, and Wade didn't know what to expect. He didn't know how to prepare us for what was going to come up on our hunt. And so this is what Wade told us when we got there Tuesday afternoon. After my conversation with Wade on the telephone the week before the trip, I felt comfortable enough with Wade and with the information that he gave me to go ahead and give him a shot. When we got there Tuesday, we were asking him questions, and one of the questions was, well, are you ready for us to settle up with you money-wise? And his response was, no, let's see how this goes before I take any of your money. So I can tell you right then and there that Wade made four friends in a hurry. Wade turned two of those friends into really good friends in about two hours' time, because that's how long it took for Brian and me to tag out in Utah, both Brian and I fanned our turkeys and and the bird I killed was one of three strutters that came in, and I had this bird picked out because he was the one that would not break out a strut the whole time, but he had a buddy with him who had two tail feathers missing from his fan, and that joker almost got shot because. He just looked bad. And I don't mean like he looked terrible. I mean, he looked bad, like capital B, capital A, capital D, bad. But I changed my mind about shooting him when he dropped out of strut one time and walked about three or four steps and went back into strut. And the other bird, the one that I killed, never came out of strut until I made him come out of strut right before I shot. So it's a rainy afternoon in Utah. And I call in three toms who are gobbling pretty much the whole way that they're coming in. They're strutting pretty much the whole way they're coming in. And this was night and day difference from what we experienced in Arizona. So Brian and I were the only ones that killed Tuesday afternoon. Wednesday morning, John killed his turkey. Chip proceeded to mess up seven, seven opportunities at turkey's on Wednesday morning and afternoon. And Chip finally killed his turkey Thursday morning. While Chip is out trying to kill his turkey Wednesday afternoon, Brian and I loaded back up, drove back down to Arizona to try to get Brian a bird. And after a little bit of coaxing, once we got there, I was able to talk Brian into hunting a water tank because it had been so dry in Arizona. And on the way into the tank, Brian rounds a curve in the road The gobbler is standing in the road, and Brian shoots at him twice and misses. So Brian had an opportunity to kill in Arizona. Chip and John show back up Thursday afternoon, and John kills Thursday afternoon. We've got two birds down in Arizona. Brian has missed, so we had three opportunities so far. And that's how we ended it. So we actually had real live turkey hunts Friday morning. And a very, very, very brief turkey hunt Saturday morning. But there were no turkeys killed Friday or Saturday. So, in seven days, in two states, we killed six turkeys. We needed to kill eight. We've got to go back to Arizona to get Brian and Chip a turkey. But, it won't happen next year. It will not happen in 2018. Because we had our vote while we were on the trip, of where we're going to go next year. And we're headed back west to the northwest. So Idaho and Washington, I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance. (laughs) We'll be there in a year. So you guys go ahead and get prepared. (laughs) Okay, so we've got a great show for you guys today. And I'm going to do a real quick intro, and then I'm going to get into it, because the interview is a little bit long, and I've taken a little bit of a long time telling this story about the Arizona and Utah trip as well, but what I've got for you today is I'm talking about TSS. TSS is Tungsten Super Shot, and instead of lead-based shotgun shells, or lead-pelleted shotgun shells, which has been the norm probably ever since shotguns were invented, TSS, or Tungsten super shot is a heavier-than-lead alloy that is being used as a substitute for lead shot in shotgun shells. And now, TSS is nothing new. If you've been shooting heavy metals, heavy shot brand shells, or Federal's heavyweight brand shells, you've been shooting a version of tss but today i'm digging in and i'm getting dirty with tss with a guy named nick charney and nick charney is one of the owners of apex ammunition and they make shotgun shells that are of the most dense type of tss that you can get and they are the only manufacturers of the most dense TSS shot that you can get. So they're manufacturing this commercially and they're selling this. And I want you guys to listen in close. I'm going to go ahead and tell you towards the end of the interview that I asked Nick to do some math for us. And I've got my calculator on my phone and I'm trying to do math at the same time. And the math gets a little bit fuzzy. But we're going to talk about that after the interview's over. And I'm going to clear up some of that fuzzy math after Nick and I finish the interview. So, you guys listening close, I think you're going to learn something pretty cool today. And I will see you, beep, and I will see you guys on the other side. Hey guys, I'm glad to tell you that I have on the line with me tonight Nick Charney. And Nick is with Apex Ammunition. I actually bumped into Nick at the NWTF convention in Nashville when... He was talking to Harold Knight. So I was waiting to talk to Harold and Nick turned around and I remember he looked at me and said, sorry to keep you from Harold for so long. I listened to the podcast and I enjoy it and thank you for doing that. And I thought that was pretty cool. But I had my right ear in Nick's conversation with Harold because Nick was talking to Harold about something that is pretty interesting to me. So you guys know that I'm a little bit of a gun nut, and because I'm a gun nut, I like ammo as well. One of the best smells in this world to me is gunpowder after it creates a fire. I love the smell of that, and so Nick was talking to Harold about shotgun shells. So, of course, my interest was piqued. Nick and I exchanged information very quickly, and he turned me loose to talk to Harold, and I wanted to get Nick on because... He is with Apex Ammunition. They're doing something a little bit different than some of the other ammo manufacturers out there. So let's get on into this interview. Nick, how are you and where are you today?
1: Thanks, Andy. I am doing really well, actually. I am in Columbus, Mississippi. I am actually at our shop. Actually, getting ready to produce some more shells for inventory purposes and to do some trial and error testing with some new load recipes that we've been developing.
0: So, give us kind of the Cliffs Note version about yourself and how you got into turkey hunting.
1: Well, about myself, I grew up in Southern Maryland, enlisted in the Air Force when I was 18, joined and went off to be an intelligence analyst. I applied to a commissioning program, got picked up, went to the Air Force Academy. And when I was there, a buddy of mine that I played rugby with, I've been hunting all my life, but just only deer hunting and only gun hunting. One of my best friends now said, Hey, why don't we go back to Kansas? My dad is a game warden and he knows just a bunch of landowners and why don't we go turkey hunting? And I think it'd be great for us. I said, okay. So I asked another guy, I said, I have no idea about turkey hunting. I'm clueless. And he says, man, I'm from New York and this is what we live for. I said, okay, cool. Let's go. And so I invited him and the three of us drove out there to the Flint Hills in Kansas And on the first day, I shot my first bird, tried to run a mouth call for the first time, almost choked on it, got laughed (laughs) at pretty hard. Told my buddy I shot my first turkey right in the lungs because I had no idea what I was doing. And it turns out I just breast shot him uh, with my first turkey gun that I bought with a Benelli Nova. And I was shooting, I think, the the old Remington boxes still had heavy shot on it.
0: Oh, yeah. Those were great shells back in the day.
1: They were. They were. They were truly one of their
0: kind. You know, when, and this is... Kind of neither here nor there, but it's related to turkey hunting, and I hope it kind of drives a point home to people who are listening. When Remington was making the heavy shot shells, I bought those and was shooting them out of my gun. And I think they they made them for a couple of years, and then heavy shot took it back and started making them. And I switched over and started shooting the heavy shot brand. And the heavy shot brand shot about a foot low and a foot right in my gun. And that year I missed eight turkeys. And the reason that I'm even telling that story is because I want people to know that not all shotgun shells are created equal. They do not all shoot the same. And if you change shells, if you're on a hunting trip and you run out of shells and your buddy says to you, here, shoot this shell right here, It is not the same as the shell you've been shooting, if it's a different brand or even a different shot size. So you need to ask for two or three of those shells from your buddy and you need to get out there on a target and make sure that the gun's shooting where you're aiming. So I'm through with that now, but I just, I thought that that's cool that you brought that up saying that that you shot that turkey with Remington heavy shot and, so I, that just brought back a little memory there. I flashbacked on us. So are you up for trying out the rapid-fire and A? I I am absolutely up for it. All right. And you know how it works? I sure do. Very good. Then I don't have to explain it to you. I'm going to pull up the stopwatch on my phone. I've got the 30 questions here and... I'm going to start the stopwatch just as soon as I start question number one, and we will rock and roll with these things. That sounds great. Here we go. How many turkeys did you kill last year?
1: Last year, I killed eight.
0: Diaphragm, box, pot and peg, push pull, tube, or wing bone?
1: Uh, Pot call and mouth call and box call.
0: Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried?
1: Fried all day long.
0: Wild turkey on the rocks, neat, with cola or with water? With cola. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? Yes. Have you ever killed a Jake? Yes. A 10-minute successful hunt on a 2-year-old or a 4-hour long hunt with a clean miss on a 4-year-old?
1: I'd rather take the successful hunt 8 days a week.
0: Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? For dinner. State you killed your first turkey in? Kansas. State you killed your last turkey in?
1: Tennessee. Sitting in a blind
0: for 4 hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for 1 hour and not shoot?
1: Well, I prefer killing turkeys, so I'll sit in that blind all day long.
0: Two and three quarter inch, three inch or three and a half inch?
1: Depends what you shoot, TSS or lead. I'll take two and three quarter inch TSS.
0: All right. Four, five, six or blended?
1: Actually, I'll shoot a number nine or a number eight.
0: Field turkeys or woods turkeys?
1: Ooh, woods turkeys. They seem to got their
0: wits about them. Yeah, pump or automatic? Uh, Automatic. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight or beads? Old fashioned bead, it never fails. Rubber boots, leather boots or snake boots? Snake boots. Most turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Eight. Least number of turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Skunk. Out of all the states you've hunted, which state has the most uncooperative turkeys? Oh, the south by far, Mississippi. If you only knew how to imitate one turkey sound to call turkeys, what would it be? The plain hen yelp. On a scale of one to ten, how good of a turkey caller do you think you are?
1: We'll say five, just to save face here.
0: Best turkey hunter you know?
1: Oh, man. There's so many. Uh, it'd be the guy, really the best turkey hunter I know goes between two people. A guy known by the name of Matt Blue and another guy by the name of Nathan Blount. One of them's the best turkey collar and hunter I ever know. And the other one, God, I think he's part turkey. All right. Favorite turkey hunting book? Ooh, Tom Kelly's 10th Legion. Classic. Who taught you how to turkey hunt? Guy by the name of Matt Blue taught me everything I know. Tough love is, is a real thing.
0: Think of the toughest turkey you've ever hunted. Did you ever kill him?
1: Yes, I did, and I got really lucky, and uh, I turned out to be my biggest bird. Do you prefer long,
0: sharp spurs or long, thick beards? Ooh, spurs. Biggest mistake new turkey hunters make?
1: Patience and woodsmanship kill more turkeys than anything combined. Bigger fear during
0: turkey season, snakes or spiders? Ooh, snakes all day long. How long does turkey season last in heaven, and what is the bag limit? Infinite and infinite. All right, I got you in at 3 minutes and (laughs) 38.25 seconds. Not too bad. I have to tell you, though, that I think Ernie Calandrelli got you pretty good. He was at two minutes and 49 seconds. So, but you didn't do too bad. You did better than I did. That's what I have to tell you. So, all right, let's jump in. And I've got a mess of questions to ask you about your company, about the shells that you guys are making and what makes them better and different. So, What I want you to do, and I usually save this question for the end of the interview, but because this whole interview is involved around what you do, I want to ask you this first. Tell us a little bit about your company and what you guys are doing.
1: So we are Apex Ammunition. And we, right now, are the only commercially loading and manufacturer of pure TSS rounds, which is tungsten super shot. And we are uh, making turkey ammunition to follow on later, waterfowl ammunition. But we are actually building a line of tungsten super shot all the way from a 410 all the way through a 10 gauge for all turkey hunters alike, whether they like auto guns, they like pump guns, they like... Three-inch loads, they like three and a half-inch loads. They like just a smaller gun for kids and youth, or they just older folks, or just people that don't want to carry a heavy gun around the woods. You know, we try to make a, a variety of products to meet everybody that's a, a die-hard turkey hunter.
0: So you guys are you're not only making just the 10, 12, and 20s, but you're making 410s and 16 and 28 gauge as well.
1: The 16 we will be making. The 28 gauge is we are making 28 gauge and 410 as well in a three-inch load.
0: Unless someone loads themselves, correct me if I'm wrong, there is no way to get a 16-gauge, 28-gauge, or a 410 in any sort of heavier-than-lead type of shot, is there?
1: To my knowledge, no. Unless you want to purchase it in lead, it, that's you're pretty much what you're limited to.
0: And I couldn't even find a 16-gauge turkey load, period. I'm not saying there's not one out there, I just couldn't find it. And I looked around, I've actually got a 16 gauge that a friend of mine gave me, and I'd like to shoot a turkey with that thing one day, but I just haven't been able to find any shells for it. So now that I know that you are around and you're making shells for these less popular gauge shotguns, then I know where to find turkey shells, so that's good. Okay, so you mentioned TSS, Tungsten super shot. What is it? And... Why is TSS better than lead shot?
1: Tungsten Super Shot is a high density tungsten alloy mixed with some other metals, and it rains in a density of polished about 18.5 grams per cubic centimeter, unpolished about 18. And so why is this better than lead? Well, one, a lot of states, if you haven't noticed, are kind of transitioning out of that lead realm, especially on public lands in a lot of states. Mm -hmm. Uh, This TSS is actually a a Fish and Wildlife Service approved non-toxic load. So there's uh, a long coupling with steel makes it two viable ends of the spectrum. So why is it better than lead? Well, we compare apples to apples by comparing density. So you can take a great big ball. It's kind of like taking a wiffle ball and a baseball. And you can throw that wiffle ball as hard as you want, but eventually it's going to shed velocity a lot quicker than, say, a baseball will. And that's just due to the density and the weight. So you look at the spectrum of densities that we as hunters typically use. You can look at steel, which is about 7.84 grams per cubic centimeter. Typical zinc-coated steel ranges in about that. You got some other densities where people might copper coat some lead, et cetera, or copper coat some steel. But for, for simplicity purposes, you got all the way on the low end, typical steel is 7.84 grams per cubic centimeter. You got guys that shoot bismuth, which is a lot softer for your old Damascus steel and older shooting shotguns that they want to shoot that can't handle this high, brittle, and very hard tungsten. Mm -hmm. So they got bismuth, which rains in about nine and a half grams per cubic centimeter. Your typical lead is about 11.8 grams per cubic centimeter. And then you got your standard heavy shot that rains in at about 13 grams per cubic centimeter. Well, tungsten super shot actually rains in at eighteen and a half, so it's the very high end of the spectrum. Pure tungsten is nineteen point three grams per cubic centimeter. Well, pure tungsten comes in the form of a white powder. So they mix this with another alloy and with some nickel and some iron and they actually create a very polished looking alloy that's called tungsten super shot. And it actually rains in there. It's about the highest you can get at 18 and a half grams per cubic centimeter. So what we can do then is we can actually make a smaller size pellet with extreme greater density, which carries more momentum downrange than, say, equivocal number five heavy metal or a number four lead. And so because of that, it's also what a lot of folks don't think of, too, is that it's also because it's a smaller pellet, you also reduce a lot of the aerodynamic friction, if you will, on the actual shot. Smaller surface area, less drag. Therefore, you can maintain that momentum at a farther distance. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the the realm of how we compare apples to apples with shot size and density.
0: Yeah, and that makes perfectly good sense. A smaller projectile is going to have less resistance, so that adds up. That's about as easy as we can put it in terms. So what you're telling me is that we can shoot smaller-sized shot with TSS, made of TSS, and still get the same or maybe even more foot-pounds of energy downrange than we can with lead. Is that right?
1: So I can absolutely, yes, I can absolutely break down a, um, kind of a spectrum, if you will, to compare it. So you talk about number four, lead, number mm-hmm. four, lead, you're going to get about 136 pellets per ounce. Most of your Turkey hunters out there and most of your common ammunition, you know, long beard XR usually comes in five and sixes. Lead number fours are about 136 pellets per ounce. They're knocking an energy down range of 200, about 230, 233 foot pounds per square inch. When you look at, say, lead number five, you're dipping down because you're going to a smaller pellet. You're going to get about 173 pellets per ounce. So as you go down and smaller, you're leaving up more volume so you can put more pellets in there. Well, you're dropping down the energy. So lead number five is usually going to come down to about 200 foot-pounds per square inch. You look at heavy number sixes, you know, obviously the density is greater than lead. So there you can get about 206 pellets per ounce. Uh, You're looking at about a 40-ish pellets per ounce greater increase due to the density, and Mm -hmm. you're maintaining that about 200 foot-pounds per square inch. Well, this Tungsten Supersot number nine, actually, we're getting 360 pellets per ounce and we're actually matching number four lead in terms of energy at foot pounds per square inch of 236 downrange. But because of our aerodynamic gain that we get from a smaller shot size, we can maintain that momentum to further distances. So actually, what has been proven is that tungsten super shot will actually get about an inch to an inch and a half penetration in ballistics gel between 85 to 95 yards.
0: Holy cow! Well, wow. I had no idea that it performed like that. That's crazy at that distance. So when you, when you're comparing say number four lead shot to a number nine TSS, when you say downrange and you give us the foot pounds per energy downrange at what distance is that measurement taken?
1: Uh, That measurement taken is actually approximately 50 to 60 yards.
0: Wow. Okay. All right. So that's extremely impressive. I, I didn't know that there was that kind of downrange energy at that distance. That's crazy. So I had somebody explain to me the benefit of using a smaller shot compared to a larger shot as far as penetration is concerned. And the way that person explained it to me is this. If I took a, let's say a tree trunk that was 24 inches in diameter and tried to push that through your body, it would take a tremendous amount of force to do that. But if I took a pencil that was sharpened on the end and tried to push that through your body, it doesn't take as much force. And so that really kind of put things in perspective for me in saying that this smaller shot that we can use, a number eight or a number nine TSS, Since you're getting the same foot-pounds of energy, that's the same amount of force at 40 yards, you're going to get greater penetration with that smaller shot than you are a larger shot at that same distance. Am I correct there?
1: Yes. You know, it all breaks down to surface area and it breaks down to energy.
0: Yeah. So let me take a step back. You mentioned that TSS is more dense than like a heavy shot. Is that simply because there is more of that tungsten in it than there is the alloys that go into making it into from a powder to a solid?
1: Yes. So if you actually purchase pure tungsten, pure tungsten actually comes in a white powder. Heavy metal uses a different alloy, which results in more nickel, more iron, and they actually manufacture it utilizing the same concept that you get a lot of steel and lead shot from, which is actual shot tower. And so the way they're manufacturing their patented manufacturing processes is they will actually do it like a shot tower. So they'll actually build their alloy, melt it to a kind of a liquid type deal, and actually drip it through a shot tower. And as it falls down, it cools and then lands in water, and thus that's how you develop your shot So this, because tungsten has the highest melting point of any metal known to man at 6,000 degrees Fahrenheit, this stuff can't simply be melted, if you will, into shot. It has to actually be chemically extracted from the raw material pulls from the ground. And once it's chemically extracted, then it's actually built in an alloy with softer melting point metals in order to make it workable, yet hold its shape and its hardness.
0: Okay. So the fact that you're using TSS, tungsten super shot, that's a big difference between your shot and any other shells that are out there what are some of the other differences component wise now i'm not asking you to give away trade secret but what are any other differences component wise between your shells and those of the major ammo manufacturers that you want to or you can share
1: Really, the the shot is the main component. You know, it's it's still a typical shot shell. It's constructed in the same manner. You have your hull, your primer, your powder, your wad, and then your your crimp type deal. Uh, whether it be a roll crimp or a fold crimp. Usually, you've seen roll crimps in type of shotgun slugs. Mm-hmm. We actually use a roll crimp in some of ours, and we actually use a fold crimp in some of ours. So it's just kind of personal preference, just based on how the shot uh, is stacked in the wad and how the overall length of the shell. So with that being said, it's, it's a very basic, the, the shot is it. The only thing that we continuously use, just like everybody else, is typically used, which you'll see in Longbeard XR, you'll see in Heavy Metal, you'll see in, I think, believe in some Spectre Shot, is a common buffer. That's really it. And that buffer just helps maintain a pattern density. And so the way I explain it to people is imagine if you took a handful of bouncy balls and threw them down a hallway. They're going go to bounce off the hallway with each other all the way out. So imagine if you put a filler void between those bouncy balls. So you've got something to absorb that energy. So those bouncy balls are going to be less reactive down that hallway. And then as they come out the end of the hallway, they're less likely to essentially spread out. And so that's all a buffer is really designed to do. And that's how I explain it to people is so that when it comes out, it allows that shot to maintain that pattern. And so you've seen this with Winchester Longbeard XR's shot lock technology. They put a buffer inside there, and then they use a thin plastic wrap around the shot, And what that does is once it fires, it, you know, separates the plastic, but that buffer maintains the ability for that lead to not bounce around. And it also allows to absorb that energy so that lead does not deform. And so if you hear people such as heavy metal talk on their commercials, you know, deformation on setback. Well, what does that actually mean? Deformation on setback is when you shoot lead, you'll hear it called a pancake effect, where lead is a very malleable metal. It can be worked very easily. So when you send it out the end of the barrel and you put a lot of resistance on that lead, you can actually deform that lead and it goes from a ball to a slight pancake where it starts to flatten. Well, when you start changing the shape of that, you start changing the aerodynamic principles. You can start changing. It can lose a lot of speed very quickly if you increase the surface area. And then you also create an uneven surface area, which can then send those pellets in an off direction other than straight. And so that's that's pretty much it. It's why a lot of companies use buffer. and that's But for us, the buffer is just to maintain that absorbing energy so that when the pellets go down the barrel, they're not ricocheting everywhere, and it helps maintain that core density.
0: Okay. So – That brings up something that I want to ask you about as well, because I hear a lot about people shooting more open chokes with these heavier than lead type shots because of the fact that these shot pellets do not deform. So talk to me a little bit about choke constrictions and TSS.
1: Yes. The most common misconception that people have is is they think that the two most common misconceptions in TSS is I need a three and a half inch shell. Well, why? Well, because they haven't made four inch yet. And the second most common one is I need an exceptionally tight choke. Why? Well, because a company made it. And with TSS, it is a complete opposite. And so people think that they need some type of 650 constriction on the 12 gauge side or a 555 on the 20 gauge side or et cetera, these excessively tight chokes. And what happens is you get a negative response here. And you get a the, the tighter constriction that you go, you actually get a more diminishing return. And with that being said, what happens is this stuff this stuff is not like lead. It does not it's not malleable, it does not deform. It can't take that shaping. So it's kind of like steel in terms of hardness. You wouldn't use a, a you know that's why if you ever buy you say don't use a full factory choke on your gun for steel is because steel doesn't deform and you'll blow the choke tube out. You can, if you get too tight with this stuff, you can actually do the same thing. So what happens is the pellets got nowhere to go and the pellets don't have the energy. Well, then something's got to give somewhere. So you can either A, potentially blow your choke out. You can B, actually overpressure the round because the round can't actually exit the barrel properly. So you mm-hmm. get a lot of back build up pressure and then your primers can start popping on your hulls and you can over pressure around very quickly. Or, C, your actual core density, your pattern can be very inconsistent because as those shells try to get out of the barrel, something's got to happen. Some shells got to move, or some pellets got to move forward in the other, some got to move back, and some got to just go somewhere. I mean, something's going to happen. It's not just going to stop and say, who's going first. Right. So, your core density actually spreads. So, the, the really, the Smallest choke constriction that we really recommend is about a 665 and a 12 gauge. Usually, your 670s to 680s are actually going to be a great choke tube, just simply because you're not. The only thing you're doing is just maintaining that constriction and actually keeping that wad and that shot together. So once you actually get to the choke, uh, a good choke will actually strip that wad, depending on how many wad strippers are in that choke, whether it be two, three, some companies have five and keep that shot string together so that when you get out there, you actually have a a consistent, tight core density pellet. And then if you actually tend to get too tight on a core pattern, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. There's no wiggle room. So if all your pellets are in an eight inch circle, 10 inch circle, however tight you want it to be, I mean, that's you're not really giving yourself much wiggle room for error. And so Mm -hmm. if it comes down to it, you know, if you try to shoot a bird at 20 yards, a few inches can make all the difference. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So Shooting an op- a more open choke not only helps as far as giving those pellets somewhere to go, but it helps to open that pattern a little bit quicker coming out of the barrel. Whereas, you know, everybody says, well, you know, I, sh- I got X number of pellets in a 10-inch circle at 60 yards and at 50 yards or at 70 yards. And everybody's trying to get more pellets in a tighter and tighter pattern. But we end up missing those shots on birds that are 10 steps away. So by opening the choke with TSS, are we opening that pattern a little bit at these shorter distances?
1: Uh, Yes, uh, you're opening the pattern at shorter distances just a little bit to give yourself the wiggle room. But most importantly, you're giving yourself a good symmetrical even pattern that's consistent because what can happen if you go too tight is your pattern gets inconsistent. Now some of it can be consistently inconsistent and may shoot high left, it may shoot low right. But if you break out a 10 inch circle and you kind of break it up into a four piece pie chart, you can see that your pattern won't relatively be even. And so we're just trying to achieve maximum consistency. Okay.
0: All right. I'd heard that TSS is pretty hard to get in the U.S. Is that the case? And if so, why is that?
1: Well, um, simply put, tungsten being mined in the United States, tungsten is considered a national defense asset or a national security asset. So, therefore, any tungsten mined in the United States goes directly for defense contractors and any other defense type agencies okay. uh, for military equipment. Therefore, we cannot commercially purchase this in the United States. So, you have to go elsewhere. And so, you know, without going into too much, you have to go look elsewhere to find it. And thus, if it's not in the United States, you have to go overseas, and then you have to involve things like customs, you have to involve things like duty taxes, you have to involve things such as shipping, and these things can get hectic, and if you don't know what you're doing, which obviously when we first started, we didn't, you kind of learn trial by fire, and it ends up costing you more money than you wish it had. Yeah,
0: and so speaking of money, tell me how your shells compare in price to, just say, a lead shot, turkey shell, and then also some of the mass-produced, heavier-than-lead type shot?
1: Sure. So... Lead is very cheap. That's been around for a long time. You buy lead fishing weights, you buy lead shot, you buy, you know, it's, lead has always been cheap. Lead's always going to be the same, and if, honestly, we could still use it, we would use it for duck hunting, but as the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has deemed that a toxic shot, we had to go away from that. So that's why we shoot steel, because it's economically, it's cheap. You can go out there and buy a box of 25 for about 25 to 30 bucks these days, depending on what brand and all that stuff. So lead, I believe you can get a 10 pound bag for probably 25 to $30 shipped to your door, whether it be magnum chilled, whether it be copper plated, whether it be nickel plated, what have you. So our shot typically, because obviously tungsten is considered a precious metal, uh, it is more expensive. So if you want to go out there and buy the most common lead shot that people buy is your Winchester Longbeard beard XR. Like I said, it's great turkey round for lead, but it loses all of its energy past 50 yards. With that being said, you can go out there right now, I believe, and buy a box of 10 shells for about $22 at your local Sporting goods store. If you want to go buy some heavy metal or you want to go buy Federal Heavyweight, which is actually a, bit, a, a very commonly overlooked shell that people don't notice, which is actually more dense than heavy metal, is Federal Heavyweight. And so with that being said, you can go out there and buy you a box of federal heavyweights for about 30 to $35 a box of five. You can go out there and buy you a box of heavy metal, depending on a box of five, whether it be 12-gauge, 3-inch, or 3.5-inch, anywhere from 30 to $38 a box of five, maybe get you a box of 10-gauge for around $40, $42 a box of five. Our boxes of five start out in the 20-gauge line at about thirty-seven ninety-nine. And then they range all the way up to our 10 gauge box of five, which can go up to 5999. We have but our most commonly sold rounds are the twenty gauge and a three inch load, followed by a three and a half inch twelve gauge, which ranges to about fifty-four ninety nine a box of five.
0: Okay. All right. So you mentioned this, and I'm kind of going back a little bit. You mentioned shooting a shorter shell with TSS than one would shoot with a lead load or even a heavier than lead type load. Why would I shoot a shorter shell with less shot in TSS than I would, say, number six, three and a half inch heavy shot or heavy metal type load?
1: Well, it goes back to our original discussion. Well, what was the purpose of TSS, the intent? Well, the intent was to exceed knockdown power of anything out there, but be able to shoot it out of a smaller gun. So as we talked about, you know, your most commonly loads that people buy, maybe you buy some heavy 13 and number five shots. So remember what I said is heavy number five has, you know, about two, 230 uh, foot-pounds per energy. So that's your most, you know, we'll just say average person. Well, what if you can match that energy performance in a smaller pellet? Well, then you can put more of those pellets in a round. Well, then you can shoot a one-ounce 410 load or a 7-8 410 load, or you can shoot an ounce and 5-8 20-gauge load, which is actually our most popular round, that has 540 pellets in it in a 20 gauge with the same knockdown power is the amount of pellets in say a heavy number five in a three and a half inch load. So you can carry a lighter gun, a smaller gauge and still have as much pellets, if not more than buying say a three and a half inch heavy metal or uh, Winchester long beard and lead, or even the new federal third degrees, you can have more pellets than those with greater energy in a smaller gun. And so I don't know anybody out there that just loves, you know, knocking the (laughs) fillings out recoil, but uh, if they do more power to them, with that being said, though, you, you know, our most, like I said, our most common thing that we get is people are saying, I just bought a new three inch 20 gauge. I want to shoot this in a 20 gauge and in an ounce and a five eighths recipe, you're talking 540 pellets, uh, 550 pellets down range with the same knockdown as your number four lead. So. I remember, I said our number nine shot is 360 pellets per ounce.
0: Okay.
1: So with 360 pellets per ounce, an ounce and five eighths, you're talking 540-ish, 550-ish pellets, if not a little more. I'm I'm not good at math on the on the hoof. But 540 to 550 pellets downrange with the same energy as number four lead.
0: Okay.
1: So you're actually exceeding. So if you look at a three, and a, your your typical lead loads, so you maybe you get a three and a half inch load out there that's a two ounce load you're talking 400 pellets. Imagine shooting 150 to 200 pellets more than that with the same knockdown power on a smaller gauge with less recoil.
0: All right. Makes perfectly good sense. You know, I actually, I'm not real smart. I do like the kick of a of a 3.5-inch 12-gauge, but I'm going to tell you that what I really don't like about the 12-gauge is having to haul it around in the woods. Especially, you know what it's like, you live and and hunt in Mississippi, especially mid-season when some days we can go on those four, five, or six mile walkabouts in the spring. So I like my little 20 gauge that I just bought this past year, and it sure does get around in the woods a lot easier. It sure is a lot lighter, and I'm not saying I'm going to retire Black Death, my three and a half inch 12 gauge, but that little 20 gauge is... It's pretty hot, so you're telling me that in a 3-inch 20-gauge shooting a number 8 or number 9 shot, I'm going to get about the same penetration, if not better penetration, than I would shooting a number 6 shot in a 12. And I know there's science that goes into that, but just ballpark me on that.
1: So, like I said, uh, you know, the smaller surface area, and as we have the smaller surface area, we require less energy to actually penetrate. So with that being said, uh, you can actually get better penetration. And most of our shot is actually, uh, we get pass throughs at 40 and 50 yards because of the smaller shot. And we're able to just pass through. Mm. So you, again, it's breaking down the density is how we compare apples to apples. And so the density is so superior that by going to a smaller pellet, we can actually match the, the knockdown power of number four lead while putting more shot down range and therefore we can actually we get a lot of times we get many pass throughs in the turkey or so if you happen to aim a little lower and hit him in the breast you'll get better penetration as you go through to actually mortally wound or kill the bird
0: a number six shot let's say you've got you said how many pellets go into an ounce uh 360 and number nine all right 360 number nine 360 number nine per ounce and you have the number of pellets per ounce and a number five or a number six of, yes. say, a lead. Okay. What is that? Yeah,
1: so lead number five is about 173 pellets per ounce. Lead number six is about 24 pellets per ounce. 124?
0: No, 224. 224. And a number six. Yeah, 224 and a number six, 173 and a five, and 360 and a nine. All right, and then let's say a Long Beard XR has... And a three and a half inch twelve gauge has approximately one and seven eighths ounce shot. yes, I would say that, okay, so a number six three and a half inch twelve gauge long beard x r is gonna have one point seven five times two hundred and twenty four pellets, so
1: about four twenty five four ten
0: okay, and then a one of your shells in a 20-gauge, in a 3-inch, in number 9 shot has how many ounces of TSS in it?
1: It depends what load. On an average, just to be quick math, an average 2-ounce 12-gauge will have seven, 720 ounces.
0: Or seven, it'll have 2 ounces, 720
1: pellets. Okay. Yep, tell, 720, sorry, 720 pellets, yes. Yeah, so tell it to me
0: about a 20-gauge uh, in a 3-inch.
1: In a 3-inch, we'll have an ounce, our typical most one we have is right now is an ounce and five-eighths, and we actually also have an ounce and three-eighths load. Uh, the ounce and five-eighths will have approximately, if you just ballpark it, just over an ounce and a half, uh, about 560 to 580 pellets in a 20-gauge. Okay. And the ounce and five eighths recipe. The ounce and three eighths, you're probably looking at about four thirty to four fifty pellets.
0: Okay. So what you've just told me is I'm going to get approximately between a third and a half again as many pellets in a twenty gauge three inch shell shooting number nine as I'm going to get in a three and a half inch twelve gauge shotgun shell shooting number six.
1: With the same exact knockdown power.
0: With the same exact. Actually, knock- sorry, exceeding,
1: power. exceeding, exceeding that knockdown power. My apologies. I thought you were going to say number four lead, uh, exceeding that knockdown yeah, power of number six lead, and yeah. maintaining that momentum farther due to the smaller diameter or uh, the smaller diameter and less surface area of that pellet.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So we don't have to feel like we have to gauge up. We don't have to go with that 12 gauge. We don't have to go with that 10 gauge. Bigger is not better if you're going to shoot TSS. And I think that's huge, especially, you know, if you're talking about like me being a pansy mid season and I just don't want to tote around my, by the time I have four shotgun shells in it, my nine pound 12 gauge. But if you take me being a pansy out of the equation and you have a 10 year old who wants to go hunting and shoot a turkey? Now you've got a 20 gauge that is I'm not even going to say equal to because it's better than your three and a half inch 12 gauge, and you can shorten the size of that shell down to two and three quarter inch from three inch. Probably end up, and you may you may know the exact number, probably end up with the same number of pellets, if not more pellets in it as that three and a half inch number six shot 12 gauge would have. So a two and three quarter inch 20 gauge, more pellets, better penetration downrange, and much, much, much less recoil. And that 10-year-old can take that gun out there and probably kill a turkey farther than you can with a 12 gauge with three and a half inch shell with lead shot. That's pretty dang amazing. That's why what you guys... They can arguably
1: kill it farther.
0: Yeah, that's why what you guys are doing over there, Nick, is very exciting That's why I needed you to come on the show and why I wanted you to share what you're doing and a little bit more of the science behind why people are making a big deal about TSS shot or TSS. So, Um, I really appreciate you coming on here and going through all that with us, and I hope that it didn't get too technical for everybody listening. I don't think that it did. If it's relatively easy enough for me to hang on and listen to, heck, you guys that are listening to the show ought to be able to wrap your head around this pretty easily. All right, so I am on your Facebook page, and just a minute, I'm going to ask you to share your Facebook and your social media sites with us, but I'm sitting here looking at some of the patterns that you've got posted on your Facebook page. It should go without saying, just from listening to you speak, that these patterns are pretty impressive. Here's one right here. A 12 inch circle, a 20 gauge, three inch shell, number nine, one and five eighths ounces of shot, and a 10 inch circle at 40 yards. It has 320 pellets in it. That Is amazing at 40 yards, 320 pellets in a 10-inch circle. So there are a lot of pictures on your site, which is very cool. And if any of you guys are gun nuts like I am, I recommend you go out there and check that out. Tell me a little bit about the pattern from your favorite shotgun shooting your shells compared to some of the major manufacturers.
1: Uh, My favorite one is, personally, I have a 10-gauge. And the reason I use this is I just... It's a gun that's dear and near to me, and I just enjoy hunting with it. I'll tell you, humping it on public land in Mississippi, a mile in and a mile out, it gets pretty heavy when we start getting those hotter temperatures. But yeah. I love shooting it in number eight shot, and that's just because I like shooting my 10-gauge. It's so heavy, it's about 12.2 pounds loaded, Holy cow. and golly, it just kicks like a trap gun. It just It's so heavy, it kicks like a trap gun. You're um, a glutton for But if I were then. shooting my... T- <laughs> my personal favorite and the 12 gauge line is uh is really our both it's a tie between our two and a quarter ounce and our two ounce loads um the new one i think uh we're we're actually playing with doing some modifications one of our guys that's leading our our r&d and our pro staff robert mccormick he actually just did one we got 484 pellets in a 10 inch circle out of a two ounce load at 40 yards which when you're stacking 720 pellets in a load and you're getting 480 at 40 yards in a tenant circle, I'd say that's a pretty good shot retention.
0: Yeah, it is. That is amazing. So my last two questions are, tell us where we can find you on social media, and then tell us where we can find you, period, if we want to order
1: some of your shells. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Apex Ammunition. And if you'd like to purchase some of our ammunition, you can go to apexmunition.com, A-P-E-X-M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N.com. That's apexmunition.com. On there, you can see what we have in inventory. You can purchase anything currently right now, just our 20-gauge, our 12-gauge, or our 10-gauge line. We're still working out the 20-gauge, 16-gauge, and 410 10-loads. Um, we're doing some pressure testing with them to make sure that they're safe and tweaking the recipes a little bit to make sure that they are uh, the best patterning and performing. And then uh, from there, we should have those debuted this summer. And then another thing we're going to have doing this summer is called a, a sample pack. So a lot of times people will go out and buy a box of shells. They'll go out and shoot their gun and say, this doesn't pattern for anything with my choke tube. Well, I don't want to go buy a million choke tubes. Well, I obviously am not buying a million guns. So I guess I'm buying five different boxes of ammo and seeing which one patterns the best out of my choke tube and my gun. Well, we are going to offer a sample pack where you get uh, six rounds, two of each type in a certain gauge, whether it be 20 or it be 12, and you go out there and shoot it and you find out and get a gauge, what does your gun and choke tube combination like more? And from there, you don't have to buy three or four or five boxes of ammo. You can buy one, get a feeler for what you think your gun might like, and then you can go out there and then kind of hone in on, well, this is what my gun likes. This is what I'm going to focus in on. And it could be anywhere from a three and a half inch to a two ounce, three inch, or it could be a 20 gauge three inch or it could be a 20 gauge two and three quarter inch either in number nines or number eight and then for some of those states that have regulations well uh, in terms of the smallest shot size you can use we're going to be offering some of those seven and a half shots for states like new york and indiana where their smallest shot size they can use the seven and a half
0: you can't see me right now but both of my hands are in the air signaling touchdown because the sample box is huge that is huge And thank you, you know, for people like me who don't like going out and buying four or five or six boxes of ammo, shooting one and going, yeah, that stinks out of this choke. Now I've got a box of four, or I should say a piece of a box with four shells or nine shells in it that I can't do anything with it other than maybe shoot a coon or a possum. You know, I guess I could shoot a dove with it, but who wants to shoot a whole bunch of doves with a turkey load? Man, that, that is tremendous. And so I think that's awesome that, that you guys are doing that. I will definitely be getting a box of the sample for sure. Because to be able to go out and pattern your gun with one or two of those shells, you know, several different kinds is a great opportunity. So for somebody like like me that likes to shoot, that's a good deal. Very good deal. So that's awesome, man. And you said you guys are going to start the, the sample doing that win?
1: Uh, We'll start debuting that this summer, probably about the middle of June. And so that's when our target goal is to actually get this out. And the reason is we want to give people ample time. Uh, I know turkey season is kind of, uh, you know, for us diehard turkey hunters, turkey season never leaves the mind. And, you know, I know most people will be focused to either going out west to start chasing elk and antelope, or they'll be getting ready for whitetail season. But for people to get a hold of it, the off season what they're going to purchase as it comes into around Christmas or early spring, what round they want to do. So we want to give people ample time to dial in their guns that, that really want the best pattern that they can get. And it's all about passing that on to the customer. Our our job isn't to sell them 10 different boxes of ammo. It's to give them the best shell best for their gun so that they feel confident going into the woods every time.
0: Nick? Thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us and share information about the company and what you guys are doing that is unique and I wish you a lot of luck. I know what it's like starting businesses and it can be a challenge at times. You guys keep your nose to the grindstone and keep at it and I think your product is your product is going to sell itself but when I think with with your attitude and mentality of serving the customer being first, I think that's really going to be what pushes you over the top. So wish you nothing but the best. Thank you again for taking time out and coming on the show. I hope you have a great night and wish you guys a lot of luck.
1: Thank you. Thank you again for having us. Glad to do it. Goodbye. Bye.
0: Okay. I hope you guys enjoyed that and I hope you learned something. For me, I've known about TSS for a while. In fact, I've got a pound of it sitting on my desk using it as a paperweight and I just haven't loaded any shells with it. Or I should say, I haven't given it to my dad for my dad to load any shells for me with it. One of the things that really stands out to me is that I can shoot a 20 gauge with a three inch shell with number nine shot and I can have more pellets in that shell than I can with a three and a half inch 12 gauge with number six shot. Not only that, but because they're TSS and they're not lead or even copper plated lead, those pellets are going to deform less. They're going to fly truer. And because they're smaller, they're going to have more penetration downrange than that number six is. So, like I mentioned before, that I want to talk about some of the fuzzy math on my part when Nick and I were going through these numbers. Now, I was trying to do this live with him and get the numbers right and still trying to wrap things up in a fairly short amount of time. And so I screwed up a little bit of math. While asking Nick about the number of pellets in a a 3.5 inch 12 gauge number 6 shot of Longbeard XR and a 3 inch 20 gauge number 9, TSS, I said that the Longbeard XR probably had one and seven eighths ounce of shot. And then I multiplied the number of pellets per ounce by 1.75 instead of 1.875. So I multiplied it times one and three quarters instead of one and seven eighths ounce. Yes, I am in the mortgage business. (laughs) Yes, my day revolves around being able to do math and revolves around being able to calculate numbers and eighth of a percent increments. But actually my crummy math during the interview doesn't even matter and here's why. Longbeard XR in 12 gauge number five or number six shot in a three and a half inch shell actually has two ounces of shot. All right, so a three and a half inch 12 gauge number six shot in a Longbeard XR has 448 pellets in that shell. That's a lot of pellets. But when you compare that to a three inch TSS shell in a 20 gauge with number nine shot and 1.625 ounces of shot, that's one and five eighths ounces of shot that shell has 585 pellets in it. 585 pellets versus 448 pellets. So it has more than 25% more pellets in it. My fuzzy math still does not negate the fact that the 20 gauge with TSS in a 3 inch shell has more pellets in that shell with more power Pushing those pellets downrange at 40 yards and less recoil than a 12 gauge with lead pellets in a three and a half inch shell. All right, so I want to address the 800 pound gorilla in the room next, and that 800 pound gorilla is cost. Okay, I shoot Longbeard XR in my shotgun. In Black Death, I shoot Longbeard XR, and I shoot number five or number six shot because they shoot about the same. Obviously because there's more pellets in a number six shell compared to a shell with number fives in it, there are more pellets hitting within a 10 inch circle at 40 or 50 yards with a number six shot than the number five shot in the XR. I shoot those long beard XRs out of my 12 gauge, out of black Death because they shoot exactly where I aim. I really don't care about the cost of the shells. Although, Winchester made the Longbeard XR to replace the Winchester extended range shells, which had the heavier than lead loads in it, because Winchester did not like the direction that the market was going in for turkey shells. Because at the time Winchester made the Longbeard XR, they had a heck of a shell with the extended range shells, but they saw that that tungsten was getting harder to get, and it was getting more expensive, and that they felt like they were pricing out the average hunter from being able to buy a box of shotgun shells. So, here's my opinion. Say what you will, do what you want, but it's my opinion. The cost of a box of turkey shells loaded with TSS is less than a tank of gas that we put in our vehicle to get from home to our turkey hunting spot. For you guys that hunt in a state where you can legally only kill one turkey in a year in your state, and you do not travel out of state to go hunt anywhere else, a box of five shells should last you five seasons. Of course, that's after you get your gun patterned and sighted in with the TSS. And now, it'll last you for five seasons as long as you don't shoot like I shoot. If you shoot like I shoot, you're probably going to need a box a year. But still, you're talking 35 to $50 for a box of shells for a product that, depending on your gun and how it patterns and where it shoots out of your gun, is superior to anything else that's on the market. I know there are a lot of purists out there who say, I don't want to shoot a turkey at 55 yards. I don't want to shoot a turkey at 50 yards. I don't want to shoot a turkey at 45 yards. I want to call that turkey into 30 yards and shoot him there. I want to call that turkey into 20 yards and shoot him there. So, for you purists, that's fine. You can do that. And you can do that with just plain old lead turkey loads. Heck, if you call them in close enough, you can do it with a dove load. Although, I don't recommend it. I guess what I'm getting at is why not prepare yourself for that one day when that one long beard that you've been hunting all season long, that has whipped your tail all season long, finally decides that he wants to play ball and he comes in and he hangs up at 50 yards. If it's the difference in filling a tag and not filling a tag, I'm going to take a 50 yard shot all day long. Turkey hunting is not always about killing, but I'm going to tell you that going out and turkey hunting day in, day out, year in, year out, and not killing, not putting a tag on the leg of a bird, not putting meat in your freezer, not having spurs and a beard to show off to your buddies, it wears on you and it makes it awfully tough to get up and go the next day. So that's my opinion. I'm entitled to one just like you guys are. I'm not saying that I'm right and you're wrong, and I'm not saying you're right and I'm wrong. We're in this together, and we need to stick together. But what I'm telling you is, I think you guys should give this TSS a shot out of your gun and see if it does not outperform what you're shooting currently. The cost is negligible once you add up everything else that you put into going out and turkey hunting, spending... $25 more on a box of shells is not the worst thing in the world. And I say that because our biggest expense that we invest in turkey hunting is not even our guns, it is our time. And if you are going to invest the time, then why not invest some money in a product that should help us kill more turkeys? Okay, I'm through with all that. Before I let you guys go, I have two favors to ask of you this week. That's right, double the favors double the fun. First of all, if you buy any shells from Apex Ammunition, please let them know that you heard about them on the Turkey Hunter podcast. Number two, please forward and retweet this episode on Facebook and Twitter. That's it. That's all I've got for you guys this week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week. And for those of you who are still out turkey hunting, I'm jealous. But I still wish you a lot of luck and send me some pictures if you have some success. I will see you guys next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies